Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Good morning, church. I will tell you I've had nightmares about doing this, so bear with me. Um, And no, I am not dancing on the way up, Scott. So no, not happening. All right, today's passage is from John 4, 28 through 38. Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. So just so y'all are aware, I don't force anybody to do that. So I'm not trying to create nightmare situations for people. But thank you, Lena. You nailed it. Some of y'all might be coming next week, so just pay attention for your text message or an email asking you to come read. If you didn't open your Bibles yet, uh, go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. I'd love for you to, to be there with us. As you're turning there, uh, uh, it, some of what you saw already uh, this morning from our men's advance, the fruit of it, just incredible. Guys, I really believe the Lord came like the rain to us this past weekend uh, at the men's advance. I know there were many guys who were blessed by our time together. Uh, not only that, but the rains really did came, didn't they? Come, right? <laughs> My goodness. You, how many of you ventured through two, two feet of water just to get to church that morning, right? Like we did. No, nobody raised their hand. <laughs> I ain't trekking through two feet of water, right? We did, though. Our, our, the men's van, we almost lost our church van, if you didn't know that. Uh, it got, almost got swept. Dale Crosby with a few other guys in the van. Uh, praise the Lord, they're, they're here. He's alive. He's just not here this morning. They're on a trip. They did make it back just fine. Uh, but if you uh, weren't able to be here this past Sunday, uh, I would really encourage you to go online and listen to the service, listen to the worship, and then also listen to the message. Our, our pastor, Ethan, uh, preached God's word last week, uh, talking about the life of Josiah, and he did it in a way that uh, really kind of navigated some of how we can study scripture together, and boy, did it make it accessible to anybody, right? Specca, right? Uh, I'm not, uh, we'll talk about it another time but my goodness, praise God for him. So make sure you go online and check out that message. Uh, So uh, we're actually back in the Gospel of John this week, taking a break from it last week. And uh, I wanna kind of make sure we're all tuned in to where we're at in this story because we've been for two weeks in a story about a woman at the well. 
And then we kind of get to this passage that we skipped over two weeks ago because it seems like an interruption, but it's not. So I just kind of want to make sure that we're all on the same page with this story in John chapter 4. So Jesus is having this really productive, multiplying ministry out in the wilderness, and he leaves that ministry to go find one, to go after one woman who's a Samaritan woman, which you know the context now for that, and she's marked by all sorts of scandal and shame. She's isolating herself. She feels very immoral, and by God's word, she is immoral. And Jesus goes after her, and he speaks to her, and he shows her that she isn't just simply wanting a drink from a well that she actually has a greater thirst and trying to go after all of these different relationships or trying to isolate herself from society won't satisfy her thirst. She needs this living water, right? And then God shows her, and in that he shows us that God's greatest works are in satisfying our greatest thirst. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. And then Jesus goes on in this conversation to tell this woman that he is the Messiah, like uh, the one you're looking for, you're looking at. And that's right when the disciples walk in on this and we talked about how awkward it is because they knew the preconceived notions as well. So this woman leaves, but not out of it being awkward for her, no. She leaves because Jesus has moved her soul. So two weeks ago, we talked about some of the movements that happened in her life. First, the marginalized became the missionary, right? The person on the fringe of society became the one running to that society saying, come meet the Messiah. Not only that, the wounded became the witness in the sense that this woman who had just been deeply wounded by her own sin and shame, she's the one that Jesus used to go into the town and say, hey, come meet the Messiah. And then the third thing was her, her wounds moved to the word, in the sense that her wound became the word that she used to invite people to Jesus. She said, hey, come meet a man that told me everything that I ever did. And the town pretty well probably knew that. She told them that, per se. She, they all knew she was a woman marked by scandal and shame, most likely. And so one of the things that we see in all of that is Jesus tends to use the marginalized people. He tends to go after and use the broken people, those who don't seem to have everything together. He uses the weak to shame the strong, the foolish to shame the wise. So then right after this, right, right after this, John tells us that this woman runs into the town and starts inviting people to Jesus. And then there's this seeming interruption, right? Verse, maybe we started in 28, right? The seeming interruption to the story about this woman, because in today's text, we, we see that Jesus starts having this conversation with his disciples. Well, what about the woman? What about ha- what, ha- what was happening in the town, right? So we talked about that two weeks ago. But, but it's not an interruption to the narrative that we're coming across in verses 28 through 38. It's not an interruption to the story. What's actually happening here is that Jesus is giving us a deeper insight to the things that he's seeing happening that the disciples aren't tuning into. He's giving us a greater understanding of what all is going on in the town of Sychar, just down the hill from the well. Now this morning, there's gonna be three main truths that we're gonna encounter in our understanding and our participation of 
God's mission. So three truths regarding our participation in Christ's mission, right? So the first one is we're more blind than we know. Doesn't feel good. I'll explain that a little bit more later. Secondly, we need better vision. And thirdly, we get to believe the impossible. So first, we're more blind than we know. Secondly, we need better vision. And thirdly, we get to believe the impossible. Let me pray for us real quick as we enter into God's word. Father, your word is able to reap a harvest that I can't in and of my flesh. God, would you get me out of the way or in fact just leverage everything in me for the benefit of your bride here at the church. Use your word to cultivate in us truth that we might be convinced that your word is true and lovely and beautiful and good. Bless our time now as we study your word and as I preach it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the disciples, they come back from the town, right? They got some provisions, they come back, they see Jesus talking to this woman. This woman runs off, she leaves her bucket, so on and so forth. And they tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, you got to get some grub, man. You got to get some food in your belly, right? And Jesus says something to them at, at, at the start of our passage in verse 32. He says something to them that just throws them entirely off. Look at it. He says, verse 32, he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples are thinking, well, did somebody else bring him some food, right? Did somebody else bring him something to eat? But are they getting it? Are they understanding what Jesus is saying here? Just shake your head back and forth. No, no, they're not. They're, they're actually not getting it. They don't understand what he means by that. They don't see that Jesus is talking about something else entirely. They're blind to the spiritual meaning. So, so what Jesus says literally just goes whoop, right over their heads. Now the question is, one question that I asked myself when looking at that was, was this the first time something like this happened in the Gospel of John, where Jesus said something and it just went right over someone's head? No, it's not the first time. In fact, it's happened almost every chapter since the start of it. If you think about it, look back, I mean, you don't have to turn in your book, but... But John chapter 2, right? Jesus is in the temple and they're having a conversation. He cleanses the temple and the Jews want a sign and he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. And those religious elite, they think, well, it took 46 years to build this building. What are you going to do in three days? Right? I don't know why they sound like Yogi Berra, but they do. <laughs> then in John 3, the next chapter, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a well-educated, a well-respected religious leader in the Jewish society, and he's talking about how you must be born again in order to see and enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is thinking, where's a womb big enough that I can climb up in to be born again? Because he's a grown man. Like, that's kind of, ugh, right? And then look at John 4. We see this woman. Jesus is at the well with this woman marked by scandal and he offers to her living water and what's her thought? Where's your bucket, Jesus? The, water, the well's deep. How are you gonna get water out? Again, woo, 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 right? Like everything going over their heads and here again in John 4, Jesus says that he has food to eat and his disciples just go, huh? Woo, Right? Who brought him something to eat? Somebody pick him up Chick-fil-A? Or the angels come down from heaven with it, right? We all know that's heaven's chicken. 
Although I'd argue Bojangles from the book of the Bible. Anyways. So I think there's just something that needs to be said first here already. Just a trend that we're seeing about humanity in relation to Jesus. And that's the first truth that we talked about. No matter who we are, no matter how well-educated we think we are, we are more blind than we know. Can, we, can you at least read that and have some part of your heart agree with that? Potentially. Can you read that with me? One, two, three. We are more blind than we know. Guys, that's like one of the first things that hit me in this study. Again, Jesus says something and it just, it's like, it's like the pomade that you rub over your head and it just goes right over, right? Like from the religious elite in John 2 to the well-educated and popular Nicodemus to the immoral and marginalized woman at the well and now even those who say that they follow Jesus, they're more blind to what Jesus is doing than they know. So like no matter how well-versed, no matter how popular, no matter how intelligent, no matter how broken, no matter how wounded, no matter how foolish you may feel, no matter how close to Jesus you may think you are, you are more blind than you might know. You are more blind to what God may be doing behind the scenes in your life. You are, more, uh, you are likely blind to the things that are blatantly going on in front of you. I wouldn't be, put it past myself to just be able to see something and not interpret it rightly, right? I'm, I, no, we're, we're more blind to what God's doing in us than we know. We're more blind to what's going on around us than we know. We're more blind even to our own actions. We're blind to the hardships of others. We're blind to the things that we don't even know we're blind to. Guys, you gotta think about this. With, with the amount of authority and power that God possesses, he is doing about 10,000 things in your life in this very second. And you might only be aware of one or two. If you're super spiritual, maybe three. Ten thousands of ways God is working and moving in your life. You might be able to only see two or three. As I... I I really do believe that we are more blind than we realize. Even if our eyes have been opened to the gospel. As, so I, I really do believe that the, the best kind of mindset as you and I kind of say, yeah, Jesus, your mission will be mine. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna cooperate with you in what you're doing in the world. When we say that, the best position to hold in our hearts, one that humbly says, you know, I, I, I'm not seeing everything here, Jesus. I, 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 don't, I don't get it all. I'm not understanding it all. I'm not aware of everything that you're aware of. So, so maybe that might mean I should be a bit more gracious and compassionate, maybe a little bit slower to judge and, 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 and quicker to mercy. Maybe I should be paying attention to more what you're doing. Guys, the disciples, they're blind to what Jesus means in this. And they're just joining the rest of humanity. <laughs> And realizing that. But praise Jesus that he doesn't leave them blind, right? He doesn't leave them ignorant in the dark about this. Look at what he does. He, he, he says, this is what my food is. You're wondering what food I've got to eat that's satisfied my hunger? This is what my food is. My food, I hope you're reading verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Guys, I, 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 this is so good. This is incredible. What does, what does 
some food do for us, right? We can acknowledge that not all food does what it ought to do for us. Like if you go, if you go slamming down some, um, some sloppy joes every breakfast, morning, lunch, and dinner, right? You're, you're not gonna be doing what you need to be doing. That food's not gonna be working the way it needs to be working in you. It might be working a different way, right? But, but most food is designed for our nourishment to re-strengthen and to re-energize us, Right? each and every new day when we eat the right food, <laughs> right? But Jesus says here, you know, I'm strengthened to do what God has given me to do by doing what God has given me to do. <laughs> he says, my source of energy for doing God's will is doing God's will. So, so like Jesus really is kind of the only human that could ever really talk like this. You and I, we're not self-sufficient, right? You, you, you try going eating without, uh, go, go without eating for like 40 days. See how that works for you, right? It may happen. Uh, try going without water for just a week, right? You'll make it two days and then you'll, you, 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 your body will be collected, right? Like it's just not gonna work well. We are not self-sufficient. We die of starvation, but God gets his source of power from within himself. Like, yeah, sure, Jesus got tired, he got hungry, he got fatigued, he got thirsty, right? Like a man would in this environment, and sure, he probably had food on the regular, like the rest of us. But here we're seeing that Jesus' power to act is to act. It's not to wait and get nourishment from something else. Now, one of the things that Jesus does here is he actually gets very specific. Here's what my food is. And he says two things. He says to do God's will and to finish his work. To do God's will and to finish his work. Now, I would, if you like to write in your Bibles, I would encourage you to circle the word will and circle the word work, okay? Circle the word will and circle the word work because there's two passages of Scripture that I want you to cross-reference when you think about those things. Because Jesus, later on in the Gospel of John, tells us what God's will is for Jesus and then also tells us what God's work for Jesus is. So let me, let me get those for you. The first, for, for the word will, the cross-reference would be John 6, 39 through 40. That's for the word will, John 6, 39 through 40. And I'll have it up on the screen in just a minute. For the word work, it's John 6, 29. John 6, 29. So like if you're asking, well, what is God's will for Jesus? John 6, 39 through 40 tells us. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So like what God wills for Jesus and what Jesus is most satisfied by is giving eternal life to those who receive him by faith. Jesus is saying here, I, I give life because I am life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What feeds me, what I am most fed by is to be what I am. That's to do God's will. And then we see God's work 
is explained in John 6, 29. Just a few verses earlier, Jesus said to them, this is the work of God. This is what God is working out, that you believe in the one he sent. That you believe in the one he sent. So, so like, Jesus' food is to give eternal life to those who receive him and his work, what he is working to accomplish is belief in the Son, which is the very thing that's needed for eternal life, right? Jesus, Jesus, he even says that the works that he does, those miracles and signs and wonders are even designed to help people believe in him. That's why they're called works. So, Friends, Jesus' hunger is fed when people believe in him and he grants them eternal life. So like, I've got to ask you this, uh, and, 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 and there's not to be any kind of point of shame in this, maybe for celebration, I'd say. How many of you have ever had the privilege of leading someone else to faith in Jesus Christ? Wow, praise God. So then you probably know, for those of you who raise your hands, you probably know the kind of wonder and amazement and joy that you experience when someone says, I'm not the Lord of my life anymore. I surrender to you, Jesus. I receive you into every part of my life. Guys, there's nothing more satisfying that I've experienced in ministry than that. Nothing more satisfying than to be on this mission. As the last time I got to be a part of something like this, uh, I was pastoring a church and, and uh, this lady, this young woman, gave her life to Jesus and I tell you what, I could not sleep that night. Uh, so her story was, she was a young lady, she was uh, married and um, she was an atheist and was a, a, had her doctorate in veterinary medicine. Right? So a well-educated, intellectual individual, and, and she, uh, she lost her mom. Her mom passed away. She was a, her mom was a part of the Catholic Church, but she was unhealthy and couldn't go to church. And so the Catholic Church said, because you haven't been in regular attendance, we're not going to do your funeral, which is hard to do. It, like, I can't fathom that. But then, so they asked if I could do it, because I had some connections to the family, and so I I did the memorial service. I preached from John 11. She heard the gospel. And over the next four months, she started like processing through these realities in God's word, emailing me, dialoguing. I'd send her some answers, send her some research and, and different things from God's word, always trying to get her rooted there. And then one Sunday, we had a baptism celebration service and she was there. She was hearing these testimonies of a 12-year-old who had been adopted by a family uh, abandoned by his mom, adopted by a family, and then put back up for readoption, and then adopted into a family in our church and heard the gospel and gave his life to Christ, and he was baptized, heard another woman give her life to Jesus, like all these different things. So she's hearing these testimonies, this doctorate in medicine, veterinary medicine, hearing these testimonies. And after these baptisms, you know, I, I, what I'll do is I'll say, hey, is there anyone here who would like to respond to the call of the gospel and give their life to Jesus and declare it in the waters of baptism? Nothing. I was like, oh, okay, all right, never mind, because I knew she was there. 
So, so we keep on going with the service, and then after the service, like I do the benediction and people dismiss, she runs up. She says, Scott, I don't know why I didn't come up. I was so scared, but I want to give my life to Jesus. I, I, want, to, I, I want to follow him. And so I said, hey, church, come back. <laughs> and like everybody started filing back in. They're like, what's going on, right? And I said, she, she's doing it, right? And so she shares her testimony. And she's like, I asked her, like, are you now giving your life to Jesus Christ? Is he gonna be the Lord of your life? She says, yes. And like she gets in the water and like she didn't even have any change of clothes. My, we didn't even have a towel for her. She didn't even care. We get to baptize her. She comes out and the whole crowd roars in praise to Jesus. It's one of the most satisfying things that I've ever gotten experience. I was laying awake that night, like I was just envisioning more and more people coming to faith in Jesus. And I couldn't sleep because I kept begging God for more people. Is that something that hungers you? Like do, you, do you find anything within you that, that there's this hunger when, when you're out in, in, the, in the environment around you and you're in your own home and there's not people who aren't saved? Is there this hunger that, that can't be quenched until that person is actually in the kingdom? You see, there's this hunger that Jesus has and it's satiated whenever he's on this mission, doing God's will and finishing his work and he's imparting it to the disciples here as well. Because that's exactly where Jesus goes next into this conversation with his disciples. So, sorry, I, I, let's keep working along. Look at verse 35. He says, don't you say that there are still four months and then it's harvest, then comes the harvest? So in, just a quick pause right there, just so you understand what he's saying. He's like, explaining that everybody knows that there's a time period between when you plant and when you harvest, right? And when he's talking about grain, it's about six months. So there was probably four more months, two months after the planting season, four more months till the harvest, right? So there's this time frame to work, right? You plant and then time later, there's a harvest. We all know that there's, there's a distance in between there, right? Like, but Jesus says something here and we ought to pay attention to what he says because it flips that upside down. Look at this. Verse 35, listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. So guys, when we're talking about the harvest, we're talking about the gathering in of those who have been spiritually prepared by God's grace to receive eternal life that Jesus gives through belief. And did you notice what he said about the state of the harvest? Did you notice what he said? What word did he use? The harvest is what? It is ready. It's ready. You better circle that word. You better highlight it. You better underline it. You better put arrows to it. You better put glitter on it, whatever you can. He said, right now, disciples, look. These people are ready 
to be harvested. They're ready to be saved and brought into eternal life. They're ready. One of the things he's saying in this is that it is harvest time anytime. Anytime right now, no matter how many, t- how many months you might think it is until the harvest, he says, no, right now it is harvest time. Just like you know how Bojangles says it's bow time, right? I'm mentioning Bojangles a lot today. You, it, 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 anytime's bow time, right? Anytime is harvest time. And yet why is that so hard for us to believe? Like if you're anything like me, like looking out at the condition of the world and how things are going in society, wouldn't it be prone of us to, wouldn't we be more prone to think, nah, <laughs> there's no way it's ready. There's no way in a time like this. Why does it seem like now more than ever before in history that the fields are worse in their conditions for the harvest? Well, brothers and sisters, that's because, that's because Jesus is the one who truly sees the condition of the harvest. What are we We're blind. We're more blind than we know. Which is why Jesus says you have to open your eyes. You have to open your eyes and look. There are millions of people ready to be harvested, ready to be saved. And and we know later uh, in, in different parts of Jesus' ministry, he says that there are so few laborers working out in the harvest field. You know why I think that is? It's because I don't think they have eyes to see how ready the harvest is. Guys, and, and, and I think at this point, there's a, like we need to pause because there's, there's often ways that you and I kind of just shift into this guilt and shame of not having been good, faithful missionaries right, in our community, right? We can, we can get into this place where we can feel the conviction of being unengaged in the mission, but that's all we feel. We all feel guilt and shame, and that's where we stay. And so sometimes we, we respond to that sort of conviction asking the Lord for like a greater fervency, a greater passion, a greater love for the mission field. But does Jesus say here, hey, 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 open your hearts and feel the love for the mission field. Is that what he says? No, 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 no. He says, open your eyes and look. He says, You've got to see this. You've got to perceive this. This has to be your understanding. Whenever you look out, that's what you interpret. That's what you perceive. So Jesus is saying right here that our failure in mission isn't a matter of vigor. It's a matter of vision. It's not a matter of how fervent we are. It's a matter of what we see, of how we perceive things. So it's closed eyes, not dull passions. What we need is for God to open our eyes to help us see the condition of the world around us, to be able to assess things and perceive things. So like, for example, uh, my wife and I started a a garden this year in our backyard. Uh, You're more than welcome to come over and take a look at it whenever you'd like. Uh, A a year ago, my wife said, I want a garden. And so a year later, my wife got a garden. Uh, That's because I have, anyways, it took a while. But as, as we planted late, like we've kind of planted late in June. Uh, like, how do you think we know when things are ready to harvest? Like, think about that. 
How are we going to know that certain produce from our garden is ready to be brought into the home and put into our bellies? Like how, how do we know that? It, is it because we love the garden more? No. no it, it, does it, oh, we feel more affectionate towards our garden? No. No, that's not, that's not gonna do it. Here's one. Um, is it because, uh, will, will we be paying attention to the harvest uh, and, and know when it's harvest time because we hear again and again that there's 3.19 billion plants ready to be harvested in? Which is, by the way, the statistic that a lot of preachers use to say, hey, there's 3.19 billion people in the world who aren't Christian. They need you, right? Is that gonna get us going? Because we know there's many of them who need to be saved? Well, maybe, but... But we're going to know the harvest is ready because we're watching it. Because each night my wife and I go out together and we just walk through the garden and we're paying attention to different things. We're paying attention to the plants. The bush beans, oh, there's a few that are ready to be brought in. We bring them in. Walk over to the tomatoes that survived miraculously and, and we bring in some of those tomatoes, right? We're, we're among the garden and we're watching. We're paying attention, we're seeing. And when it's ready to go, we go. So like if, if I or my wife never went out into our garden and just kind of guessed, right? Oh, it's been 40 days, I think the, the tomatoes should be good. When we walk out and they've already spoiled rotten because the rains have burst them, right? Like no, like the, the issue isn't that we need more vigor, more fervency, the issue is that we need better vision. We need to be able to see things better. Remember that song by Brandon Heath that hit uh, K-Love and Spirit FM many years ago? Brandon Heath, give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I've been missing. Like, there's a wonder why that hits so well because Jesus says that that's exactly what we need for us to be paying attention and partnering in in the mission. We need better vision. We need God to open our eyes to the harvest because we've already heard that the Lord of the harvest saying, the Lord of the harvest has said that the fields are ready for harvesting. They're ready right now. And now there's something else that he does here, and this is where we're gonna kind of wrap up our thoughts with. Did you see what he did with what you and I know to be the growth timeline of, of plants? You seed, you wait a few months, and then you harvest, right? Like that's, that's what he was affirming back in verse 34 or 35. But did you see at the end of the text what he does with that? For the, verse 37, for in this case the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. He also says in verse uh, 36, the reaper's already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. You know what Jesus does to that growth timeline as far as movements in the kingdom? You sow the seed and you wait a few months and you harvest. Jesus takes those two significant moments and he collapses them to a single second. A single moment. You sow and you reap that very same moment. Guys, only, only 
God can do this sort of thing, right? And, and he promised he would. If, if you know your Bibles, you may have heard something like this back in uh, the, the Old Testament minor prophet, the book of Amos. If you take a look at that in verse 13 of chapter nine, look at what he says. I would even encourage you to write that address in this passage, but look, he says this. Look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who treads grapes, the sower of seed. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and all the hills will flow with it. In other words, the prophet is proclaiming a day and an age when there will be a moment that the Messiah will bring in where a seed will be cast and then harvested that same instant. It can happen in the same moment, but, but guys, you and I both know that's impossible, right? That's, that's scientifically, name a plant, name a kind of seed where you can do that. I thought so, right? I couldn't think of any either. No, no, I, there, there's no plant, there's no seed that can both be planted and harvested the very same moment. When my wife and I planted our seeds in our garden, did you think, come on, right? Did you think we did that? I, I would have in kindergarten, right? But no, we, but Jesus is saying here that the seed of the gospel can be sown and its fruit reaped at the very same moment. You don't have to wait seasons. You don't have to wait months or even weeks. You sow the seed of the gospel and you can get a harvest of fruit from that, that very instant. In other words, you know what we get to believe as believers? The impossible. We get to believe the impossible when we're on mission with God. Does that not excite you? Does that not like thrill you? Like we get to believe that we can cast the seed of the gospel for the first time into someone's life no matter how calloused they may seem, no matter how hard the ground is, no matter how scorched the dirt may be and in that very second of sowing that seed in that same very moment they can be reaped into eternal life. Like do you believe that impossibility do you believe that you can literally meet some random stranger on some random day in some random place and you, you throw the seed of the gospel and a second later they are ready to be harvested into the kingdom of God? Do you believe that that defines God's mission, that that sort of growth pattern is normal in God's kingdom, in his movements? Like with the gospel, there's no waiting for this. That's, that's why Jesus says the fields are always ready for the harvest. Did, does that make sense now? The fields are always gonna be ready for the harvest because no matter how scorched it is, no matter how many times you've tried, you cast one seed of the gospel and it's reaped for harvest. Like in a split second, a barren land can sprout up a harvest for the kingdom of God that are ready for the laborers to bring in. Who knows, you might be casting what you think is a seed, but somebody's already casted the seed and you're just adding water and God's gonna give the growth and you're gonna reap the harvest like the disciples did here. Guys, no matter how many seeds are cast, no matter how many times in the past that seed seemed not to have taken, no matter how far from God someone may seem, one seed cast today 
can lead to eternal life and eternal joy in that very same moment. And that is exactly what's happening in this town of Sychar with a woman marked by scandal, moved from marginalized to missionary, from wounded to witness, using her wounds as the word, proclaiming the gospel that the Messiah has come and people are hearing that seed and they come out in that very same day and they're harvested into eternal life. You see, that's what it's like to partner with God in his mission. So three truths. We're more blind than we know. As hard as that slaps across the face, it's still true. We need better vision. We need our eyes opened. And you know what else? We need to believe the impossible can happen. We need to believe the impossible can happen. We need to be able to dream again. We need to be able to caught up in the late watches of the night like imagining God's kingdom rushing into your neighborhood as you care for your neighbors and share the gospel with them. We need to be able to dream that the impossible can happen again. Why? Because with God, all things are possible. So like I, I, know, I know that some of you have been fearful when it comes to this sort of challenge, this part of the Christian faith, when we say that we follow Jesus, this part makes most of us uncomfortable. Trust me, you, you, you'd be surprised by how uncomfortable I can be when it comes to engaging in this mission out in the community, or at least how I was years ago. Some of us allow our fear to keep us distant from the mission. Some of us, uh, a fear of of inadequacy, like not knowing the right answers, a fear of being uh, rejected, a fear of being hated, all these sorts of things, especially as persecution seems to be arising and our faith becomes more and more marginalized in our society. Some of us distance ourselves from this. Self-doubt, maybe inadequacy, whatever it is. Others of you have been working in the harvest for a really long time. Maybe you've been working on someone for years, praying for them, asking God for their salvation, and you're weary. Guys, when it comes to God's mission, no matter where we might find ourselves, this is the passage that I think the Lord wanted me to end with. Psalm 126, five through six. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. The one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed. He will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. So for those of you whose husbands have wanted nothing to do with Jesus and following him, for those of you whose wife has, have, has had a bitter heart towards Christ, for those of you whose son has rebelled from more than just you, for those of you whose daughter has just gotten caught up in way too much, for those of you whose mom just thinks that this Christianity thing is a joke, 
Or to those of you who say that you're, like you find out that your dad says that Christianity is just a crutch. For those of you whose neighbors are saying that there's no God but me. For those of you whose coworkers only seem to judge you and not to appreciate. For those of you who, whose friends have never gotten serious about your faith and you're getting weary, don't stop sowing. Don't give up. You might have tears as you sow. You might be in in pain as you pray for their salvation. But those who sow with tears will reap with shouts of joy. So keep sowing the seeds of the gospel. That Jesus died And he rose from death for our rescue, for our redemption, and our restoration back to God. Sow the gospel, reap a harvest for the kingdom. You don't know who's going to be ready, but Jesus does. And he can tune you into exactly what that person needs. So perhaps there is someone that's coming to mind. Maybe I struck a chord with the The list of people that I mentioned earlier, a family member, a spouse, a neighbor down the street, someone that God is putting on your mind in this very moment where where maybe you haven't done anything in regards to engaging them missionally or maybe you have for some time. I want to encourage you to take four quick steps. First, pray for them. Commit to praying for them routinely, regularly, and laboring in the prayer field for them. Secondly would be caring for them. Simply getting to know them, get, uh, getting them to know you, uh, knowing their name by goodness, knowing what their names are right, would really help. And getting to hear their needs and, and finding ways to care for them, especially in times of great need. Thirdly, share with them. Get to the point where you share the gospel with them and again and again and again and again just because they accept it once the first time doesn't mean that they'll deny it the second time. Keep sharing the gospel and when they finally receive it and they finally are reaped into the kingdom, fourth, disciple them. So pray for them, care for them, share with them and disciple them. That's one way you can partner with Jesus and with our church on our mission to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.